give me one shot here on a blue chip stock, believe me, Kevin, the only problem I'm going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What is good, NBA draft fans? Your boys are back. The Wolves of Ball Street, your favorite draft analysts, favorite draft analysts. It's the Draft Deck NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Corey Tulliba, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Albert Garbage Time Gim. Albert, what's going on, dude? How we What's doing going tonight? on, everybody? Um, I'm doing well. Uh, I hope my audio and my video comes out okay. We had some AV issues before starting, and it's all on my end. I'm going to try to figure this out, but it's good to be back. I'm I'm crazy excited to talk about Scoot today because, number one, he has an absolutely elite name. Scoot Henderson is a fantastic name, and uh, he's got a fantastic game. There's going to be a lot for us to cover, and I'm excited. Hell yeah, man. Uh, Scoot is a good name. Yeah. That's like a famous person's name. Like, you know, uh, you got to be like, you got to live up to that. Uh, but Scoot Henderson is uh, a really intriguing prospect for uh, a number of reasons, um, mainly because like Victor Wembanyama, who we covered last week, Scoot has also already played a professional season. Uh, he is a guard for the G League Ignite. He's 18 years old, played last season as a 17-year-old, listed at 6'2", 195. Not sure what the wingspan uh, currently is. It looks like um, it looks like he's got some plus length on him, yeah. just based on on the video. Uh, he played. He averaged uh, twenty four minutes per game, averaging fourteen point six points per game, four point seven rebounds per game, three point nine assists per game, to two point two turnovers, along with one point nine steals and zero point two blocks. Shot forty five point four percent from the field, nineteen point six percent from downtown. Not great. Uh, and 78% from the free throw line. But he did have a true shooting percentage of 58.8%. Um, so his stock price coming into the year, this is uh, he's the unanimous number two prospect behind Victor, according to all of the outlets. ESPN has him at number two. SB Nation, number two. Bleacher Report, number two. The Athletic, number two. Tankathon, number two. He is the number two guy. It's Victor. It's Scoot. Those are the guys that you know everybody is looking forward to getting their hands on all of the teams that are tanking these are you know the potential prizes for um nba teams preseason you know as we know we've talked about plenty of times um starting the year with those rankings is one thing you got to live up to it but these are two guys with pro experience and scoot you know look good in his g league stint so at number two albert is that too high, too low, or is it just right for you? Um, I think it's just right. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just right. He's a close second, is my opinion, as of now. I think um, by the time we get closer to the draft, he might really be pushing Victor pretty hard for that number one spot, is the sense that I'm getting. Um, and this is just, you know, I once again, we want to preface all this by saying that Everything we're going to say on this pod is based off of what we saw, um, you know, during his G League play. And I think there's a lot in the tape 
that should get you excited about what he's going to look like in year two for the G League Ignite. And if he makes another jump there for that team as an 18-year-old, I think the talk for number one is going to be a lot closer than maybe some people realize. I uh, I could definitely see that outcome. But you know what's really interesting to me about Scoot is that um, he's this really highly regarded prospect, and rightfully so, right, as, as for all the reasons we're about to get into. But he also represents this archetype that has kind of gone out of style in the league. You know, he's this short, really athletic point guard, kind of shoot first, right? Um but we're not really sure if the jumper from distance is going to come along. You know, he's, it's kind of the, uh, the archetype that's in is like the big jumbo initiators, right? It, it reminds me of that men in black scene with, you know, Will Smith where he's like, um, what's he say? I'm the new, new hotness. You're old and busted. I'm the new hotness. And like, everybody has become infatuated with like these, you know, big LaMelo ball, Dyson Daniels, these big Josh Giddy dudes who could, you know, have the size to play up and down. Um, but with scoot, what I think it comes down to when you look at him being so highly projected at such young age is like outlier talent is outlier talent, no matter what the current trends are in the league. Um, you're going to draw people and draw interest. If, you have something special about you regardless yeah. of how in or out. So that that's what I th- think is really interesting about Scoot. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm there with you. Um, I'm actually Corey, like in my notes here, I'm actually really, really excited to talk about the shooting with you. Cause I actually had a lot of questions for you. Um, obviously wanted to pick your brain and what you thought and what you were seeing, because um, I wasn't as down on his shooting as I thought I would be. Um, after watching the team, but of course, once again, I, I do have questions as I'm genuinely, genuinely curious about uh, what you thought, but um, yeah, I'm with you, man. I, it do- definitely doesn't seem like he's the type of guy that we should be super interested in right now, but the talent is there. My comp for him is a guy who really didn't pan out in the league. Uh, I'm just hoping that he is the, you know, plus version of that, but uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. There's a lot to take. Well, let's save your comp for, uh, the end of the show, but <laughs> I mean, let's start with the shooting. We start with the shooting a lot and with scoot, it's definitely this swing skill. I think between um, potential all-star and like potential superstar. So uh, let's, let's get it started. What, what kind of questions, you know, come to mind for, for sure. So my, my biggest question that I wanted to ask you is what, well, if you watch the tape, clearly he loves mid range pull up. He, he mm-hmm. liked it a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah. My question is when he was shooting threes, I wanted to pick your brain on his, because I, I thought overall the shot looked pretty good to me. Obviously, you know, not, not the best eye in the world, but I, I, I try my best. Um, my question to you, Corey, is what you thought about his base. Because in this is just, you know, from my, you know, I, I thought his feet were a little close together uh, when he was shooting threes. Um, so that's kind of where I wanted to start. Number one was from the base, what your thoughts were on that. And also, uh, kind of like a larger, more macro question is, can you give me and our listeners a little bit more insight from the coach's perspective on, um, base overall? Like what's the ideal type of base? Because we talked about AJ Griffin in the last, um, 
draft cycle well, and a lot of people thought his base was too wide, too low. And can you kind of give us some background on how that actually affects the shot? Like, if you're too wide, what is the what is the result look like? If you're too narrow, what does that look like? Um, all right, so yeah, so a lot there. Um, you said very reliant on the mid range. Uh, according to Instat, he was in the 95th percentile on mid range shots, which is very good. So. Yeah. You know, he's going to something that he's comfortable with. And I think on a with a guard who's going to be heavily reliant on ball screens, that's, you know, a really important shot for him to have. And yes. I think he already has that. So that's good. I think when you look at his mid-range shot versus when you look at the three-point shot, the first thing that I notice is that he rises up and gets a lot of elevation on the mid-range shot. Whereas on the three-point shot, there's less jumping right so the shot mechanics are different for the long range shot versus the the midi which he's much more comfortable with and it's you know i mean it's not uh unique to to scoot for a mid-range shot to differ from the long range shot to get more elevation um it's you know that's fairly normal um for a shooter for my for my notes, I actually wrote like, and you touched on it. Like the form is really not that bad. Um, he gets good arc. Uh, the form is fairly repeatable. There's like an ever so slight like elbow right elbow flare. It's like very subtle. It's nothing major, but um, on some of his makes first misses, you can kind of tell, especially at certain camera angles. Um, but the thing that stood out to me the most is one uh shot readiness um and then the other thing was his balance and and that comes back to his base right like you mentioned that sometimes his feet would be a little bit closer uh i think when you're looking at him as a shooter as a uh, in catch and shoot situations versus off the bounce. I think that's where you see subtle differences as well. I think in catch and shoot situations, his shot prep is a little bit better when, you know, the pass is on the money. You could t- see that he's kind of like waiting, um, getting low, kind of ready to use his momentum to create like upward trajectory uh, versus sometimes where he's shooting off the bounce. It's like a little fidgety. It's like not super smooth from the three point distance mm-hmm. and i think that's one of the things like you know 20 percent is pretty bad for a, a lead <laughs> ball handler but you know it comes back to like victor last week like he was you know supposed to be in high school playing in the nba g league you know right. what i mean so I, I think the adjustment to the distance of the line is something that he dealt with last year you know if you yeah. look at a lot of his misses they're short a lot very of the short, time very short yeah. you know like and um it's almost like the reverse Tyrese Maxey for him. You know, I remember when we talked about Maxey and his shot, I was saying how he kind of needed to shoot more up than out. Like he would shoot it forward and um, he needed to just get a little bit more arc, a little bit more elevation. So it wasn't so line drivey uh, creating like, you know, weird misses for scoot. He, he almost shoots it two up sometimes where you almost want to have him, rein that in a little bit and shoot forward Mm. a little bit more so he gets that extra distance especially because he's not generating as much power from his his base as he is on the mid-range as far as like elevation um so i I mean overall if i'm looking about like who what is like the 
best base for somebody to work with. I think ultimately for NBA players, it's like whatever works, <laughs> you know, like God, that's, yeah. that's kind of good. Like if AJ Griffin is going to continue to shoot 47% from three with looking, you know, like, um, uh, was it Jeff Bagwell, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like great. You know what I mean? Like go yeah. for it. You know, I'm not, who's complaining about that. Uh, if somebody, you know, can knock down 45% of shots with their feet stuck together, like great, I guess. Right. Like, I Got guess it. it all depends contextually what kind of shots they're making, how versatile they are for me. I, I always think back when I was younger, um, I always attended the Villanova basketball camp and uh, it started with Steve Lapis and then eventually Jay Wright took over. And one of the years, uh, you know, you always get guest speakers, at, at these camps, you know, we had like Tim Thomas come, um, one year, which was cool. He didn't want to talk to us at all. And that wasn't, that was a that was apparent. Uh, but like one of the years, Ray Allen's shooting coach was, was the guest speaker. Mm-hmm. And it was this old dude who just looked like he should have been an accountant. Like he was just a regular person's height. He was just, he just looked like a regular old white dude. Like, stock mid forties white guy like that. That was his aesthetic. And he did not miss one shot the entire time he spoke to us. He was shooting half court shots. He was shooting three point shots. He was shooting left-handed shots. This dude was a maniac. Like I've never seen anything like it. It was insane, but something that always stuck with me. It's something that I always try to tell my players when I'm coaching and I'm actually, you know, I I'm coaching a really young team right now. So, it's something that I'm dealing with a lot, trying to get these kids who have not really been coached up a ton in their life to try to um, rework their shots. But there's this one kid in particular who's got this really awkward base where his right foot is kind of like almost in line with his left foot. Like not, not quite, but it's like almost in a straight line, you know? Mm. So he's, but his, and I'm just like, I remember what Ray Allen shooting coach said to me, like, as he was speaking to us, where he was like, picture you're in a fighting stance. Okay. Like if you were fighting, how would you square up with somebody? Right. Like you want balance. You want your feet to kind of be like shoulder width apart, slight bend in Mm -hmm. the knee. That way, if somebody's, you know, swinging on you, you can kind of bob and weave, you can avoid, you can kind of make a move and you're, you're always on balance, no matter what body movement you have to do. And that's something Mm -hmm. that has kind of always stuck with me and something that I try to teach. So a lot of times I'll like go over to somebody and I'll be like, get in your shooting, you know, stance, your, whatever Mm -hmm. your shooting form would be your, you know, let me see your base. And then I'll go up to him, get in a fighting stance and be like, do you think if I swung on you, you can keep your balance. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we'll be like, no, and it's like, right. So why would you want to shoot like that? <laughs> like, Got it. Uh, you know, so for me, like, it's almost like you're in a fighting stance where, you know, you're just, you just have a good slight bend, mm. good, uh, you know, your feet are shoulder width apart. You know, to me, that's kind of what I try to personally do, but it's okay. really what, whatever is comfortable for the shooter, I think is, you know, what, really you're trying to get because if a kid is knocking down shots Mm -hmm. if scoot is knocking down shots then you know in a in a variety of ways then like you know you don't want to alter it too much but obviously scoot has a ton of work to do because yeah 
you know, he shot 20% in 21 games. You know, I know a lot of the statistics for, uh, you know, that are out there available to the public on websites say he has like 11 games worth, but you know, we have the instat catalog where yeah, it's 21 games. So, you know, 19.6% on in 21 games is it's a big sample. You know, it's not like he was warm in the bench, but uh, again, I'm actually pretty optimistic. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he has these little inconsistencies that when you're just looking on the surface, his shot looks pretty good, but he's adjusting to the line. He's adjusting to the speed. Um, He's going, you know, high school to the pros and not high school to the pros as a graduating senior. You know, he's going high school to the pros as a kid who, you know, is like reclassing. So as as a year earlier. So I, I think like next year you can kind of, I think we're going to see a pretty decent spike. Like, I don't think he's going to come in and shoot 40%, but it wouldn't shock me if he was at like 35% next year as a shooter. And honestly, a lot of it kind of reminds me of like the conversation around like Davion Mitchell, who, you know, struggled as a shooter early on in his career. And then ultimately kind of got comfortable. And, you know, he was at like 45% by the time he left Baylor and you know he, he was inconsistent last year. Um, But to me, it's like, he started coming on at the end of the year and it's like, can you trust the form? Can you trust the Mm. eye test? And I think that, you know, if Scoot's going to put in work to kind of fix that base up a little bit, kind of work on the smoothness off the bounce and just, you know, kind of be shot ready. A lot of the time his shot readiness too, like off the ball, especially like when he's getting weak side hits. And this is something that we'll talk about, like when with his off the, uh, off ball offense is like he doesn't really know where to position himself yet Mm, you know in like a pro level offense a lot of time he'll just kind of be like in like the short corner like Mm. when you know he should be spaced all the way uh you know to the corner and he's just Mm. like packing the paint so Mm. when somebody drives he's got to kind of back up um to the three-point line and that's a really hard shot to hit so there's like little things that I think are going to help his shot that aren't even necessarily like um, or his percentages, at least that aren't even necessarily have to do with, with the form. So, right. But again, like I'm, I'm optimistic. I don't think his form is bad. Um, I think visually it, it looks all right. And I think if you're coming and starting at a point where visually and aesthetically, like it looks okay, he's not palming, you know, getting a lot of palm on the shot. Right. I think that's a really good starting point to build off of because, you know, what if he played high school last year? You know, maybe he, you know, he's getting these easy looks and he's shooting in the forties or if he plays in college, he's getting easier looks. Like he was playing in the NBA G league as, you know, a kid who should have been in high school. So I think that affected his percentage a little bit, but I'm, I'm optimistic. No, if I can, Corey, you just threw like a million things, but um, that was a great answer. Um, I think for me, give me a second, I have to process because there was like three things that I wanted to say. First off, um, I love the Tim Thomas shout out because uh, at the camp that I was at in fifth grade, a God Sham God came and God Sham God just dribbled the ball a lot. And um, <laughs> well, as he does, <laughs> I know, as he does, as he does, like you know, to his credit, God Sham God should be dribbling a lot if he shows about your basketball camp, but we're hoping for something else, but it's fine. Um, that was great, but um, yeah, I. Corey, something that you mentioned that I definitely vibe with is it felt like he definitely was getting acclimated to the distance. Um, As you mentioned, he was short a lot. And a lot, if not 
I wouldn't say all, but a vast majority of his misses were really, really short. That's why, you know, watching him shoot, I thought it was the base because his feet were so close together. But I, I really like what you said. If if it's comfortable and it's working for him, then I'll go in. And I'm really excited for him to keep working. And the thing that I really like, Corey, was, and I know, like, you've talked about this before when we're talking about other shooters, but there wasn't a disconnect between his lower half and his upper half. All felt very fluid and connected, and I was like, "Well, if that's going to be the case, then I think as he gets more acclimated to the distance, and he literally just puts in the hours and the shots necessary, then I think he's going to be just fine as a shooter." And with his athleticism, and of course the different facets of his game that we're going to talk about, if he shoots thirty-five to thirty-six percent from three, we're talking about a really, really good player. And one last thing that I wanted to talk about, and I wanted to get your feedback on as well. You said that when he's off ball, he gets lost a little bit and he kind of like not he doesn't really know where to be. What I thought was interesting, though, Corey, is I agree with that. But I I thought it was weird that he had a good sense of where his teammates were supposed to be when he had the ball. But oddly, when he didn't have the ball, he didn't know where to go, which I thought is a really interesting thing. And if you can, I I, I apologize for putting so much of the uh, pressure on you as the coach of our pod, but. Is that something that you see a lot of when we're talking about high school kids that have that disconnect where with the ball in their hands, they'll know what to do and where everyone else is, but without the ball that there's that disconnect where they just don't know where to be. For sure. And even at a higher level than just like young kids, like high school, AAU, mm-hmm. you know, even, you know, looking college at any level, um, like LaMelo ball, if you go back and watch his film in Australia, That's, yeah. Yeah, he did a lot of that, and like, who can find his teammates and knows where his guys are? What better example than a guy like Lamelo? You know, so it's like mm-hmm. for people that are so used to having the rock in their hands, okay, when you know it's a little bit different. Like, yeah, you know where guys are, but what do you do when you don't have the ball in your hands anymore? This is the first time that Scoot has probably ever played in an offense where he wasn't featured in the offense the way you would expect a a prospect like him to be because he was not eligible to be drafted this year. You know, the, the G league was focus was on Jaden Hardy and Marjan Bochamp and Dyson Daniels. Um, And to be honest, it was really fun to go back to this film post draft because I was like, wow, like Hardy really pops in all of the moments that scoot is on the floor like he really popped in a good way offensively in all these games that I was watching and Bochamp too. I was like, wow, like I honestly, I probably should have been a little bit higher on, on Marjan um, as well. I thought those two guys really popped um, going back to it, but those were, those guys were kind of the focus. Cause you know, the G league put out a graphic on Twitter today. Like they, since they've been a program, they've had the most first round or the, the most guys drafted or they've had the most top 10 um, guys drafted out of any program, you know? So kind of as a recruitment tool, like, Hey, we'll get you drafted. We'll get you drafted high. If you come here versus going to Kentucky, Duke, wherever we have the same kind of track record development. Plus, you know, you could learn how to be in a pro system. Um, So scoot was, he definitely had the ball, you know, enough to showcase yeah. the skills that he had. You know, I, not to say that he was always off ball, but there are a lot of times where it's like Dyson Daniels. He was yeah. the point guard of this draft, right? Like he's mm-hmm. going to have the ball in his hands. Um, Hardy. Honestly, Jaden Hardy actually 
really fits well next to Scoot from mm-hmm. from a style perspective with all his his off ball yes. movement. And I think that really helped helped him as as a player. Uh, having a guy like him who was so dynamic with the ball in his hands, and it actually makes me think like, wow, like this kid could be really fun next to Luca with all the attention that Luca is going to draw. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a, a, a there's a learning curve when you are first learning how to play off ball all the time, especially in an NBA offense where the speed is so quick and you're like, okay, I just um, got into the paint. I kicked out and I'm still in the paint. Where do I go now? Like you have to make these decisions even when you are creating, like, what do mm-hmm. I do after this now? So I, I think that the experience that he got this year with all of the film that he's going to have to watch all of the, and the fact that next year he'll be featured more often. I think all of this stuff is going to get cleaned up and you're going to see like a much more crisp prospect. Cause the prospect that we saw last year, much like Victor does have like certain flaws that you, you, you look at and you're like, I wish he was better at this. I wish he was better at this, but it's almost like if you're comparing that film to the final year film of like the guys who were in the last year draft, it's like almost unfair. Cause they have a whole nother leap of development mm-hmm. to go still. Um, yeah. But with that said, like this is still a kid who was efficient <laughs> in the G league. And like, even with the shooting struggles still managed to get his offense cleanly. But I think all the off ball stuff he'll figure out. And I think when he does, like I think he could be a dynamic cutter. Because I do think he needs to, in order to feel, fulfill his potential, like with modern NBA offenses, you you do have to learn how to play with other dynamic ball handling. Yeah, right. You know, and that's something that I I, I really thought was um, a good developmental thing for him playing next to a guy like Dyson Daniels who can play with the ball in their hands, playing next to Jaden Hardy, these guys, because it could prepare him again for the league when he gets there playing. You know, because I don't know who he, Detroit might suck again right. and like you know he's got now he's going to be sharing the ball with Cade or uh right. who knows what other teams you know Orlando might suck again and you got Paulo there so uh I think that learning how to do that was a positive but I, I think that he's going to be a dynamic cutter and I think you see that in some of like his timing is really pretty interesting on like give and goes okay you know like yeah shoot because I, you no, got the look no, in your yeah. eye, like you want to say something. <laughs> no, I had a question. Another question. I, yeah, <laughs> I came with a lot of questions for you today, just well, because, you know. you know, because the thing with Scoot is, I think the reason why I have so many questions today is because we are so used to talking about like college guys coming into the draft, and not so much of these like younger high school guys, and so. There was so much about his game that, like, I, I was just curious about in terms of like the nuance of his development, right? So with Scoot, you mentioned the cutting, right? I actually thought, as you mentioned, the timing was good, but there were times where it goes back to the awkwardness where he would start to cut and then for whatever reason stop and not finish, or there was like a hesitation or whatever it was. So Corey was wondering if you could speak about that a little bit. So my question to you is, number one, where does that come from? Right. Um, what was it that was causing him to hesitate a little bit or to not finish his cuts or what I, was it a coaching thing? Was it a developmental thing? Was it because I thought the timing was good, but the execution wasn't always there. So I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of feedback on that. Yeah, I think overall he he wasn't like a very good cutter. I think just like on certain like the, the give and go type stuff where he can like it was mm-hmm. almost like it was him creating like a transition opportunity in the half court where it was just like quick pitch to, you know, like the big man and then a quick little drop off. And now he's at the rim um, in space. 
I think, you know, more of like the off ball cutting, the indecisiveness. I mean, I think you probably would have to get inside his head and ask him what it really is. But, you know, I think it's just, again, like learning and understanding, like, when do I disrupt an NBA set? You know, is it okay? Like if I have an advantage to kind of in the middle of a play, just kind of go haywire and, and break off out script. of it a little bit. Yeah. Go off script mm. a little bit and, and kind of disrupt it. Um, and am I confident in my ability to do that? Am I going to, you know, is that something the coach is going to, you know, say is, is, is bad and negative. Am I going to sit? I don't know. I think you'd have to get in his head, but I just think the indecisiveness of not always having the ball in his hands. Like he probably mm. was used to learning on the fly, how to do it at game speed at an, you know, with against NBA players, I think that's probably what it is. But I, again, I think that it's something that is good that he, you know, you saw the area that he needed to improve on this year because mm-hmm. it could be something that we see next year. He's going to be playing with some pretty good passers potentially uh, on the, you know, next G league ignite iteration next, next year. Um, yeah. You know, Leonard Miller is an interesting passer. Um, at his size and I think that you know they're gonna try to get him opportunities to play with the ball in his hands because that's something that makes him intriguing if he's not playing with the ball in his hands it's like what is all that intriguing about Leonard Miller that you're not getting from I don't know Fan Bojang right like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean like if all you're doing if you want a tall lefty shooter right like the thing that makes Leonard Miller interesting is that he can uh you know dribble and make plays so uh, I think he'll get the opportunity to show improvements on that end. And, you know, hopefully we see it. Okay. Yeah. I, that makes a lot of sense. It's just, yeah, when I was watching him, you know, once again, I, I really, it reminded me of you and, you know, you work with a lot of high school age kids. I'm just wondering where, you know, his psyche was. Obviously you can't go into his brain and find out for sure, but I, you see a lot of kids that age. So I was wondering what that was. Um, but Corey, you did mention the passing a little bit or that he was, playing with guys who could pass well. I think that's a really cool transition for us because um, I actually thought he was a really good passer. Um, so, like, you know, we talk a lot – when we talk – it's funny. When we talk about, like, high-level passing, we talk a lot about, like, touch and weak side hits and things like that. But mm-hmm. for, for me, I thought the biggest thing was we talked about the off-ball stuff. I thought he had a really good feel of where his teammates were supposed to be, and he did make some really, really cool weak side hits. Um, I thought he especially made a lot of good reads when he was attacking the rim and getting downhill, whether it was feeding the big when, you know, the, the big defender was helping and making that read. Or, you know, if the, the one you talk about a lot is off drives, the um, the low man, when he's helping strong side, he's finding the right guys open on that side or whatever. I thought he did a lot of that stuff. You know, that mm-hmm. is, in my opinion, really high level stuff that. I imagine must be really hard to do as a 17 year old coming into play uh, with those guys who are a little bit older, you know, more experienced, yada, yada, yada. Um, thought he did a really good job. And so w- wanted to ask you what you thought about that, because for my opinion, I thought he did a pretty damn good job. Yeah. You know, I think when your first impression of, of a player like him coming in that young, who's so reliant on, his athleticism that he wouldn't have, you know, the kind of natural feel of a playmaker. And I, I still think he's working some of that out, but he had a two to one assist to turnover ratio. Um, and, you know, you saw like Jaden Hardy struggled with turnovers, Yeah, you know, and, you know, look, Jaden Hardy's not a point guard. 
Mm-hmm. You know, as much as the Ignite tried to give him some of those reps, he's not that natural playmaker. But mm-hmm. Scoot, you know, almost four assists to basically two turnovers, like as a you know young kid in a man's league, really impressive. I, I, I and you mentioned those weak side hits that we always talk about. Um, yeah, like the big struggle for young guys, right? It's mm-hmm. like finding the balance, especially scoring guard. It's finding the balance of when do I score and when do I leverage that scoring to be able to make plays for my teammates. That's what made Luca special at such a young age. And the guys yeah. um, on the No Ceilings feed uh, did a great job of going back and talking about Luca, what made him special in their um, kind of retrospective look at that draft. Right. And and Luca was doing things that are just all time special, you know, at, at that age. You know, Scoot's not that level of, I don't think he's that level of prospect. I don't think he's that level of playmaker, but he had some really good moments you know a lot of his his drives do result in kind of just that like his athleticism his blow by burst is really impressive so he's basically just making that you know hit to the the one more like the next guy the closest guy one pass away but um some of the ones that i highlighted in in my notes um absolute dime to Jaden hardy in the Stockton Kings game. He actually had a good yes. one to, to um, Dyson Daniels after that as well. Mm-hmm. Came off a quick pitch and go, uh, and then whipped a perfect weak side pass. Uh, yes. And, you know, when I was watching that game, I'm like, all right, I want to see more of that. Cause a lot of it is just the one pass away. So let me see, let me see more of that. He showed it again with Dyson Daniels. Um, then watching the, one of the Warriors games, mm-hmm. uh, he was just working Frankie Ferrari. Um, mm-hmm. in these mm-hmm. high ball screens. And he had a couple of weak side hits. That, and what was so impressive is how he read these two weak side hits in ve- very similar plays. So mm-hmm. um, he's going right, coming off the screen. And the first one was kind of like, he just comes off, he sees where the help is pulled over, the gravity that he's creating to the rim. And he hits that like overhand, like over the head, like two hand, like swing all the way to the corner. Yeah. It wasn't the crispest, the most crisp pass like right. ever, but it got there and, you know, it was an assist made shot. Um, then there was one after that was very similar where he got a little bit deeper into the teeth of the defense. So now in knowing that he just made that corner hit, he got in the help starts drifting to the corner and he hit that, the weak side wing instead. Yeah. And it was really sweet. And that's kind of stuff that you're like, okay, there Mm -hmm. is something here because he is going to be that guy that I think ultimately you probably want to be like your number one scoring option, the same Mm -hmm. way Damian Lillard is the same way Trey young is different in how they get their points. But like those guys who are dominating the ball with usage and, you know, potentially being your leading scorer. But if he can also make his teammates better and yeah. make these high-level reads, then, you know, you're talking about a guy who you could see going really deep into the playoffs, like maybe leading his team the way that Ja Morant is. I, I don't think he's as natural a playmaker as Ja, but mm-hmm. there are definitely certain tendencies, and he has certain advantages, I think, physically over Ja that, um, by the time, you know, he's like 21, 22, you're gonna be like, oh my God, this kid is a fucking freak of nature, you know? Uh, so it, that's going to be interesting to see, but yeah, I, I think some of those high level reads are really impressive. 
And I think he's a pretty good decision maker. Like, uh, yes. when, um, you know, I think when you're looking at his turnovers, a lot of them come from like, he needs to tighten his handle. Mm-hmm, I think that mm-hmm. his handle is a little loose, uh, especially against NBA defenders. He's, he's got like a really fun handle. You know, he's got all of the combos. You can go between his legs. He's got the, like the little hang dribble hezzy. He's got all that stuff, but it could be a little loose, a little sloppy. I think with yeah. age, as he works more, that's going to tighten up. I think he's going to be a really, really good ball handler eventually. Um, but I think where some of the turnovers come from aren't necessarily like trying to make passes that he's not capable of. It's more so it's kind of like the West Brookian, not understanding his athleticism all the time and knowing that like defenses are going to expect him to be the one who is just like driving into the paint. So they're meeting him. So like he he'll run into the defenders a lot. And I think, you know, where that really like the, the best example of that and where it manifested um, is who was he playing with? Maybe it was Mexico city. Mm-hmm. Um, he had the ball 10 seconds left in the game, tie game. So G league ignite could, you know, have the last possession he drives and three defenders just collapse. Yeah. Right. Um, because they know what he's going to do mm-hmm. <laughs> and he drives right into the, you know, his man who bodies up, takes a charge. We're going the other way. And Mexico city, hits like a little floater wins the game all because he kind of, you know, didn't recognize the situation. Right. He just tried to use his athleticism. Let me just get to the rim any way possible. And, you know, really strong side came over and helped and Jaden Hardy was open in the corner. could have been a kick who knows, you know, and then from there yeah. make or miss, but he just charged. Like those are the kind of this, the decisions that he still has trouble making. It's more of like, how deep do I get before I get off the ball? Yeah. You know, he, he's very like, downhill bowling ball out of control and not all the time. I mean, he only averaged yeah. two turnovers a game, but like as far as like what he needs to improve on going forward, finding that pace, playing at multiple speeds, that's kind of right. where I see the decision-making stuff. As far as his passing, I think he's been pretty solid and he, he makes reads that are like not safe, but like smart. Yeah. Yeah. No, Corey, like first off what I'm, what I'm like processing in my brain as we're talking about this is like, I don't think we've been this like nerdy about a player in a while. Um, and that's exciting because I think yeah. that, that really speaks to how much we really, really like this guy and how he excited us while we we're playing. The possession you talked about against uh, the Warriors where he took the screen at the top of the key and he started coming downhill. I think he made that two-hand pass over to Pooh Jetter who hit the three, right? But even that one, the thing that I absolutely loved about that possession was how he used the screen to get open and downhill. And I thought for his age, he was unbelievably good at using screens. I thought he mm. was a really, really good, like yeah, for his age, setups. of course, right? Yeah, great setup, timing, right? The closeness of it all, like so that like he's optimizing the effectiveness of the screen and all that. I thought he was really, really good for his age. And I thought that really helped him. And another thing that I thought of, Corey, as you were talking, something that you talked about when we were at Summer League is process when it comes to guys who can really shoot the ball, right? For for Scoot, he's not a killer three-point shooter, but I thought his process as a mid-range shooter was really good. So mm-hmm. a lot of times he's coming off the screen and because he, like, he would hit a mid-range or two or three, right? And then after that, he would start to utilize that to his advantage where he would come off the screen, once again, using that screen really well, the bigs come in to help and he would manipulate that big to either with a hezzy or whatever, getting to the rim and getting a bucket or setting something up for his teammates. So that's something I really, really wanted to 
kind of highlight as well was f- the screen usage by mm. by Scoot. I thought was really impressive. And another thing that I wanted to bring up, you mentioned some of the the wildness and and the turnovers. One critique that I had about him when going to the rim was there are t- I thought his protection of the ball was inconsistent. I thought there were times where he would do a really good job of protecting the ball and other times he'd do a really bad job of protecting the ball where sometimes he's really loose with it, not just his handle, but you know, like we've talked about before, Stefan Marbury would two hand, you know, protect that ball. I thought at times he was a little bit bad at that and he was a little prone to pokes where guys would be able to poke yeah. the ball away from him. Uh, that I didn't love, but that's something I think, considering his physicality and everything and the way that he plays, is an easy cleanup. Like, that's not something I'm worried about. That's like a little fine-tuning where I think he'll be really, really good at that. And another critique that I had, Corey, that I wanted to ask you about, um, because I think it might be a psychology thing with him, psychological thing with him. I thought there were times where he was really aggressive offensively, and other times where he's a little passive, where I, I wanted him to be a little bit more aggressive. But I did wonder while watching the tape, was it because of who he was playing with? Was it because he had veterans like Pujetter on the team? Or because, as you mentioned, first round type of talented guys and Marshawn Bochamp, Dyson Daniels, and Jaden Hardy. So that's something that I wanted to bring up to you and ask you once again. I thought there were times where his aggression was, where he was freakishly aggressive at times, and other times kind of, missing there and was that because of the team that he was playing on i think a little bit of this a little bit of that right certainly i think that the ignite are trying to create a system where everybody can showcase their abilities so you're not going to see you know one guy get the the james harden usage treatment where they're just like this is the only guy we want to showcase we're trying to get him drafted we have no other prospects right they're trying to let everybody um everybody eat they're defining roles and but at the same time pushing players to experiment so um pushing them out of their comfort zone and i think you know having him be in situations where he is off ball or in half court situations where maybe he isn't comfortable like i think with the aggressiveness you know you're talking about you want to see aggressiveness him in transition right like he's just like i'm yeah. beating everybody down the floor i'm going to the rim uh or i'll find my or teammate if that's yeah. the you know if that's the best option but like i'm going to run the show because especially because he's i think he's a a really solid rebounder for a guard and i think you know those grab and go opportunities um that you see like prime westbrook get where he's just grabbing the ball and off a long rebound and just starting the break I think he's going to have those same opportunities and that's where a lot of his aggression is going to be early on, especially because, you know, the, off, the defense is scrambling. There's so much more space and you can really see young players thrive in, in that environment, um, especially guys with his athleticism. But I, I just think, you know, it, it's, it's a learning curve for him um, learning when to be aggressive. When do I take over? When do I defer? When do I let Jaden Hardy cook? When do I let, you know, Dyson, run the show what is my role in this situation that situation again that's what's so intriguing and interesting for scoot playing with the ignite team because if he went to you know um some college some d1 school they'd probably give him the rock and you know kind of give him free reign to to do whatever he wanted um Mm -hmm. a lot of times and a lot of schools would give him that freedom Mm-hmm. and he wouldn't get the opportunity to kind of grow as uh, a player as early as he would need to. So I, I like that he 
can be put in uncomfortable situations and you could see him processing and, and learning from them. And that's, what's so fun because we haven't seen this yet with a G league ignite prospect where they go back for year two. And now it's like, he's going back for his sophomore season. Let's see what he works on. Let's see how he gets better. I mean, think about how many prospects that we were high on last year that went back to school and got, and took such a massive leap. Keegan Murray, mm. Johnny Davis, um, Jaden Ivey, right? And I think Jaden Ivey is one of the comps that, you know, you would look for in this situation as far as like skilled athletic guards as, you know, like, um, so I think next year is going to be really interesting to see how he works through some of those problems. Yeah. I, I'm with you, man. I'm really excited to see it all. And I loved how, yeah, I just, there was a lot about his offensive game that we should like and we should be excited about and as you mentioned in year two all the stuff that he was good at i'm excited to see him get better also Corey, you mentioned this kind of in passing 78 percent from the free throw line obviously skewed because they did the one shot two point thing yeah. but still good still yeah. really good That's and good. really encouraging and he looked good at the line as well also he, we kind of mentioned this before too but at 17 he has a phys- the physique of a 24 year old so all good stuff, man. All really, really good stuff. I want to ask you about his athleticism. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Where, where are you ranking his athleticism? I know in the no ceilings um, okay. group chat, we've had a lot of discussion about the term generational. Right. I've seen that word thrown around. Um, you know, uh, on a scale of like one to Derek Rose, mm-hmm. where are you ranking our our friend Scoot Henderson? So I would never use the word generational for him. I don't think that's there at all. But he gets up really high really fast, which is fun. Um, and he's really physical about it. So on a scale from him to Derrick Rose, a good seven and a half, eight. Is that fair? Um, I think that's fair. I, th- I yeah. think it's fair because he's not Derrick Rose. I think no. We for- Honestly, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen in person on athletically on a basketball court. I watched uh, the KD toe on the line game and that was mm-hmm. the craziest thing that i've ever witnessed on a basketball court where i just felt like everything that left duran's hand was going in and you, like as soon as it left his fingertips you're like oh my god he is on fire that is nothing but net um but from an athletic standpoint i seeing derrick rose up close was like oh my god this dude is a freaking alien and mm-hmm. the thing that was crazy about derrick rose was that he had to start stop he had the side to side. It wasn't just like Westbrook. I feel like was juggernaut. Just like I am running through everybody and just dunking it from wherever I take off from. And I, it doesn't matter who's there. Derek Rose was like able to like kill, hit you in so, so many different ways. Um, and, uh, I, I don't think Scoot is there. I, yeah. I think that, uh, he's a really great athlete, I'll yes. be interested when we dive into the Thompson twins tape soon to see how comparable they are because everybody has, you know, saying that they have generational athleticism, um, which, you know, based on what I watched scouting Montero last year, I would disagree with, but I think they're all great athletes. I think Scoot is going to be a top tier athlete. I don't even think he's John Morant level as an athlete, mm. but he's 17. So let's see him strength 18. and conditioning. You know, he's 18 yeah. now, you know, he's playing, um you know last year so like let's see him as an 18 year old in the g league let's see him as a 20 year old in the nba let's see what level he really gets to as an athlete but it's clear that he is top tier i think 
as as a guard athlete um athletically Jaden Ivey or Scoot Henderson my brain is buffering right now I know it's a hard one wow I think for now from 17 year old Scoot tape I'll say Ivy but that could change after 18 year old Scoot tape yeah Scoot had some pretty impressive yeah he did it's tough it's really tough all right let's talk about uh let's take a um a quick break and then we'll talk about his defense with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back um, to talk about Scoot Henderson's defense. Let's start with the on-ball stuff. Uh, What did you see from him as an on-ball defender? Shaky um, is what I like to say. I thought shaky. Um, I thought overall, overall, as a defender, I thought he was shaky um, all over. Um, I'm I'm not going to go as far to say I thought he was bad or anything like that. Um, I think there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. Um, I thought he showed good instincts. I thought he... um, was pretty active with his hands. He has strong hands. Um, I Quick thought he was real, yeah, really good hands, uh, which I enjoyed a lot. It's just at, at times, Corey, I don't know if it was a youth thing or like straight up like a stamina thing or what it was, but I, I, I thought his defense came and went at times. Um, I, I'd like to see a little bit more focus. I'd like to see even I, and I hate to say this, there were there were moments where he showed a lot of effort, closing out on guys, running out on people, pushing, you know, uh, running people off the line, whatever. But also there were times where I thought he drifted a little bit at times where you could kind of clearly see he was conserving energy, whatever it was. So um, I'd like to see a little bit more, a little bit more. I'm not as high as him at, on him as a defender as I am as an offensive player, but I'm also not saying he's a bad defender. I just think uh, considering the youth and with the coaching that he's going to get and also, the sheer physique of him and also his ability to move side to side and things like that, I think there's a lot of potential for him to be a really good defender. It's just I didn't see enough in his 17-year-old tape for the G League Ignite last year to be like, oh, like I'm ready to be like he's a great defender. I didn't get that at all, to be honest. Um, but I'm also not out on him either is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think the goal with Scoot Henderson eventually is going to be like, can he be – a net neutral defender, yes. right? Like that's what you right. always want with your number one options. Like if they're bringing two way play, then, you know, big time win. But with yeah. a guy like Scoot, you just like, can he be switchable? Can he, you know, guard up and down? And theoretically, I think he can and yes. will be able to. What I will say is when he was engaged, I really thought he could be a pest because mm-hmm. he is strong. He is long and he's a really fluid lateral mover with as you mentioned super quick hands like a lot of his you know, he averaged almost two steals a game in 24 and a half minutes and a lot of that like sure he played the passing lanes and all that but a lot of it was like he would just Poking. pick guys you know yeah. poke away like kind of stuff you see in like a men's league where you're just like 
it almost was like easy where he was able to poke it away. Um, so that was really impressive when he's putting ball screens. I thought like, yes, he gets hit. Mm-hmm. He gets hit a lot. Yeah. And I think it's something that I did see signs of improvement on during the year where he would try to step over it. Like that's kind of the goal for ball screens. Like you want to avoid it, you know, and you can do that two ways. You can go under ball screens. And I think that one of the things that scoot had to, as like an overall team defender needs to improve on is just like scouting report stuff. Like sometimes he would go under on shooters that like you definitely should not have gone under on. Uh, And then, or you can go over right and fight through the screens and i thought he got better at fighting through screens but like you need to step over these screens early so you can avoid getting hit altogether and again you know we bring this up and I, I'm, I'm only bringing we bring davion mitchell up a lot defensively especially for guards because i do think he's you know for as far as young guards and just i think he's the gold standard yes right you know for for prospects and i know i know that um that he watches Davion Mitchell as a guy that he emulates on the defensive end. Like I know he's, that's a guy whose tape he's watching and Davion is an absolute beast at stepping over and avoiding screens altogether, sliding through blowing up those actions before they even happen. So that's something that I kind of want to, to see him do um, in ball screens. And then again, like the scouting report stuff, like uh, in the motor city game, uh, they kind of targeted scoot a little bit um, at points where they, they would send like, uh, like they sent Isaiah livers to be the screener and they were playing like the ignite were in a switch um, and livers popped and scoot didn't switch right away. Like he stayed with his man and then he like was late to rotate and it's like livers going to knock like a three point shooter like that is just going to make you pay. And at the NBA level, like it's not just Isaiah livers who had a great summer league. And I think could be a a part of the the Pistons rotation next year, but it's like, you know, you're looking at the best of the best shooters. You're looking at your Duncan Robinson's and and guys like that, who are going to be running these actions who at an NBA level are shooting 44, 45%. So I I think for me, that's kind of, the areas of his game defensively that I want to see. Cause the potential is there, man, like the, yeah. the strength, um, just the way he moves on the court, the way he's able to get in your chest and stay with you. And I think that, you know, even though he's six, two and we don't know what his wingspan is clearly has the length to, yeah. to guard up and be a multi-position defender. He's got the strength to body up. And, you know, I don't think that small forwards are going to like, physically dominate scoot henderson when he's 23 24 years old and he's been in the league for you know four years already and then i think rebounding like he's like we touched on like he's a really good rebounder for guard and that's part of defense right finishing the play getting the rebound so there are definitely things that you could point to and be optimistic about there are flashes and i think defensively it's so much less instinctual for a guard to be learning NBA defense than it is to like go in and, and play on offense because you could just do things with the ball in your hands and free freelance and all that. Like it's much harder to do that and freelance a lot, like defensively, especially when you're like a guard like him, who's not like, you know, blocking a ton of shots or anything like that. Um, So just like learning the rotations and not 
having to like go in the paint, get out of the paint and not just plant yourself there. Like mm-hmm. you could in high school or at other levels and like learning how to do all that while, you know, being locked in, engaged and learn, you know, remembering the scout, all the things that go into defense is fucking hard. It's really yeah. hard. So yeah. uh, I thought he showed intriguing flashes, but yeah, he definitely wasn't like a positive on that. End. No, <laughs> that's exactly how I find. Corey. Like I know people give us shit all the time for agreeing too much, but I literally had that in my notes too, where I said, I, I think the film work has to be there knowing the personnel has to be there because I, dude, I, could not agree with you more about the fact that he a lot of times made really critical mistakes in terms of navigating screens. I I literally, Mm. I could show you on my Google keep here exactly what I wrote. It's exactly the same thing where it was like, dude, like you're guarding a guy who has the gun. You can't freaking go under. He's going to make you pay, right? You Mm. have to navigate that well. But all of that stuff, once again, Corey, that I agree with you on it as well, he's 17 and he's going to learn 17. that and he's going to know who he's playing more and more. And he has the raw tool. Something I talk about a lot at work, honestly, when we talk about recruiting and bringing in new hires is, uh, to be honest, um, people can have the hardware and not have the software. Right. Mm. And if you have the hardware, you can install the software. But if you have people who don't have the hardware and try to install all of this software, you're asking for too much. And so we, we talk about that a lot when we talk about hiring and recruiting for our company. And that's something that I'm talking that I think about here with Scoot, where Scoot clearly has the hardware. He is a very fluid, natural, explosive athlete. Right. He's got the length. He's got the size. He's got the physique. All we need to now do is put in a little bit more of the uh, the software. And I think he's going to be, as you mentioned, at least a net neutral defender. Who knows? Maybe he's even better than that. I, I don't want to go that far and say that that'll happen. But I think it's a possibility because of how strong the hard drive is with Scoot. So I'm with you, man. I'm with you. And one, look, one of the things that coaching, you know, high school age kids like Scoot was that you realize is that like, these guys improve so much year to year and experience is so important. And sometimes things that you couldn't instinctually do the year prior, all of a sudden something clicks and it's just like, Oh, I get that now, you know? So like, that's why I'm so excited about Scoot's season next year, because it's his sophomore season in the NBA G league program where he is now the featured guy no longer is it Jaden Hardy and Dyson Daniels and Bochamp and Michael Foster like now it's time for Scoot Henderson to be the guy and fight potentially for the number one overall pick spot you know um Jalen Green was the the number two pick and I'm sure Scoot Henderson is looking like I could be number one I I doubt he's looking at Victor and going this thing is a done deal and Mm -hmm. you know I I would put my money on Victor right now but you know I don't think that's Scoot Henderson's mentality and I think he's gonna try to have a monster season because if you go and just look at the film which we've really you know dove into and gotten into the nitty-gritty and then just you look at the raw numbers it's like shit this kid was really good in his minutes you know and not just like good for a 17 year old kid like he was a good nba g league player last year right so it's really exciting he played with a lot of good players too Corey. we have to emphasize that again he played with good talent around good numbers 14 points whatever 
I'm with you, man. I'm really excited about him. Even like coming into the pod, I was excited. But after talking about him with you and hearing all this, I'm I'm pumped. All right. So if you're buying stock in Scoot Henderson, who may you have bought stock in previously? Okay. Uh, do not kill me for this, our listeners, because you may <laughs> not like this one. Because I want to explain the rationale. So I'll say the name first. The name first is Emmanuel Moutier. Mm. Um, I, I'm throwing that out there. But my my goal for Scoot and my prayer and my hope for him is he is he will become what people thought Emmanuel Moutier was going to become. Right. I think of Scoot as Emmanuel Moutier, but with more athleticism, of course, but also, you know, better shooting mechanics. Moutier never figured out the shooting stuff ever. He never even got close. His jump shot was always a nightmare. Um, I I will forever laugh at David Fisdale for his opening press conference with the Knicks saying, Mud, we're going to get you figured out. Never <laughs> happened. It never happened. And he called him Mud. So great introduction that never worked out. But Emmanuel Moutier was a highly touted prospect coming out of high school. Absolutely. Uh, he ended up. Yeah, he was. He was. He was an explosive guard, big physical guard that mm-hmm. people had really high hopes for. I imagine that Scoot Henderson could be the absolute best version of what people thought Emmanuel Moutier was going to become. I think Scoot's going to be very physical. He's going to be very explosive. I think he's going to shoot it well enough, as we've talked about in detail in our pod today, and he's going to have enough passing chops to be a lead guard in the NBA and is fully, will eventually be, in my opinion, fully worthy of the number one pick discussion alongside Victor Wembenyama. So I'm not saying that he's going to turn out the way that Emmanuel Moutier did in the NBA, but I'm saying if the absolute 1% result of or 1% scenario of Emmanuel Moutier was to be this multi-time all-star, potentially even like all NBA guy. I think that could happen for Scoot Henderson. That didn't happen for Moutier. I don't think that's as crazy as it, as it seems, right? Because you're saying, you know, ultimate if Moutier hit his ceiling, right? And right. like, he's still, what do he go? Seventh, right? Yeah. To I think yeah. the nuggets or whatever nuggets, it was yeah. like, that's still a top 10 pick and Scoot Henderson, I, I think has already shown more as a prospect than Moutier had um, at the same age. Uh, for me, I came up with a few names. Um, Baby Ann Edwards, I think is one um, not quite the shooting volume from three, right. but you know, Ant struggled uh, percentage wise in college, but it was always like, Hey, does the form look good for me? It's like, if the form looks good, then why are we worried about him as a shooter? Because he'll figure it out and he'll rein the shot selection in a little bit. Um, And then Dwayne Wade light. Wow. Wow. Because he's a little bit, he's a little shorter, but I think there's a lot of similarities with D Wade in the, the strong athletic, um, kind of score first, but have that, those playmaking chops. Cause I think Dwayne Wade was a really underrated passer. Uh, and the way he gets into the paint, the way that, you know, he, he looks for his mid range shot, even though he struggles as a three point shooter, it still doesn't stop him from getting to his spots. And I think that's something that Wade never had a problem with because he was so good at one beating you athletically off the bounce, but also he was really good in the pick and roll as as a scorer, as a downhill threat. So uh, I see some Dwayne Wade type tendencies in him. And of course there are flashes of like D Rose and flashes of Westbrook at times, but I think that he could be kind of like a Dwayne Wade light. And I don't say that lightly. 
uh, you know, those are high. That's a high bar. But I think that, you know, he could be a guy who, you know, makes teams go, you know what? I want one of those too. I want a Scoot Henderson on my team. Um, yeah, the league is about spacing and shooting and, you know, big jumbo initiators. But, like, I want a guy like Scoot who's so dynamic at getting into the paint and cutting up the teeth defense could score and can get to the mid-range shot and is going to be able to get buckets in the clutch like that's who i want so i i i think scoot can get there all right it's time america's favorite segment it's time albert for you to sell me this pen on scoot henderson here we go good afternoon ladies and gentlemen my name's albert and i'm here to sell you on scoot henderson scoot henderson is an extremely physical guard uh, a guy who has, I mean, you're talking about, you You want his type of physique in your basketball players. Got huge shoulders, big old chest. He's going to be fantastic as an athlete, super explosive. But the thing with Scoot Anderson that you're going to love is that with all the athleticism, with all the measurables, with all the tools that he has physically, the thing that you're going to love about Scoot Henderson is that he adds finesse to that as well. He's a strong mid-range shooter, as Corey mentioned earlier, in the 95th percentile from the mid-range. He's a developing three-point shooter with no major, major flaws in his shot. We think with more reps and time and experience, he's he's just going to get better, and he'll be either mediocre or above above average as a shooter. Uh, Strong passer. Maybe not the best passer in the world, but a very good, strong passer. And a guy that, as we've mentioned, can change gears, change speeds, can get to his spots, will be physical at the rim, will be physical with his man. Defensively, we think he's got all the tools to grow and become a decent, if not above average defender as well. So if you consider all that from your lead guard, right, that sounds like a pretty damn good prospect and somebody that you'd feel really good about investing in for the next seven to 10 years and hopefully even longer if he ends up in a good situation. So Scoot Henderson's a guy who is not by any means a perfect prospect, but he has so many innate God-given tools and talent that that's the type of guy that you want to bet on. And Also, he showed enough mentally and with soft skills that you will be excited about his outlook as an overall potential superstar as well. I will buy one Scoot Henderson, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, clearly, we like the kid, man. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Kid is a lot, a lot of fun, man. All right, Albert. Uh, this was a really good episode. This was fun. I'm glad that that we did this with Scoot. Um, I'm excited to dive into some of the rest of the class because I think that we, you know, had a familiarity with Scoot, with Victor. And, you know, now it's time to get into some of the guys who are, um, you know, more off the radar, but are going to potentially be in in the lottery conversation, um, you know, in the weeks to come leading up to the regular season as we go through our uh, list of guys. So, all right, Albert, uh, tell the uh, WWWs where everyone can find you. Uh, you guys can find me at Alberto Gim is where you can find me. And Corey, before we go, something that I, I did really want to say, I know we have all our different segments and we do, you know, sell me this pen, all this stuff. I'm hoping we can integrate more of Coach's Corner with you on, on our pod because I feel like so, a lot of the insight that you gave our listeners today is a lot of stuff that I don't know if people talk about enough because, Corey, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of times when – you start talking basketball with people um, there. I don't know if it's a pride thing. I don't know what it is, but there's this expectation where you want to kind of 
show off or not show off, but present yourself as somebody who knows a lot, who knows ball, who knows all these, these things. But I also think it's important for us and for people like you, Corey, who are obviously more well versed in basketball in the X's and O's to kind of help people catch up a little bit. Like for me, like Corey, I've never coached at a high level. I've never coached high school or whatever. I've coached for church leagues. I've coached, uh, wow, coached. What, what is that? Coached <laughs> for like, you know, men's leagues and stuff like that. But I've never coached at the level that you have. Right. And I feel like the, the insight that you can give us from your experience and what you do literally on a day to day with your boys out on Long, on Long Island, I think that's the type of stuff that I think we could all benefit from as basketball fans. So did kind of want to throw that out there because I thought today our, our conversation was so high level and really interesting and exciting. And I feel like I'm walking away from this discussion having learned a lot. And that's something I think would be really cool if we integrated more of like coach's corner, you know, so. Just wanted to yeah. say that as we leave. I mean, you know, I'm down. I mean, absolutely. I love getting into the nitty gritty of hoops. I like, yeah. you know, I think um, you could talk casually about a prospect and still, you know, learn a lot um, from the conversation. And I think we can get into the nitty gritty. And, um, you know, as long as I'm explaining it in a way that everyone can understand, because I think that when you do get into the nitty gritty, sometimes, you know, basketball is hard. I try to use, not use like, super compl- complicated yeah. terminology mm-hmm. uh that you would have to like go and research uh if i don't have to but yeah i would love to really talk more about that kind of stuff because it is important i think contextually when you're looking at systems and the kind of offense that teams are running and you know that kind of stuff you it is stuff that you have to take into consideration because uh, i think that even for as much as we could play guessing games too sometimes even you know, the prospects will probably be the first to tell you like, oh, like we're saying like Scoot went under on somebody. But like, what if the coaching staff was like, go under. we're supposed to go under, <laughs> you yeah. know, like you're not going to defy your coach. So right. there's stuff like that to take into consideration, too, in that perspective. But uh, yeah, we're going to we'll get it. We're going to get into the the details. Um, I mean, I think we're the only draft pod that spends an hour uh every episode breaking down one particular prospect so uh i think we already go pretty you know pretty deep into the nuances of things but yeah we can get we can go deeper yeah no just really quickly i think for me Corey, i just today this pod was very meaningful for me i feel like i learned a lot and that's exciting you know and i imagine that a lot of our listeners come on to our pod to of course like i think Corey, like we have fun we try to keep it fun and light and whatever but i also think it's valuable when we're walking away having learned stuff right all the talk that you were talking about with scoot and how he is manipulating things offensively that's like high level stuff that i think is what well, maybe some people may say it's not high level stuff i don't know but for me like i'm walking away feeling enriched like i feel like i learned something so just for our listeners out there i, I just want you guys to know that's something that we have in mind and that Corey is fantastic at and we want to do more of for you guys as well well i appreciate that and sometimes you got to give yourself more credit too because i think you understand the nuance a little bit better than you know you let on sometimes um but we will do that and uh if you want to find you know all that stuff in um, short character bursts. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Teleba. Uh, find my YouTube channel at the NBA Draft Dude. And then you can go to NBA, uh, no ceilings, NBA.com, 
where you can find all of our written work, including the rest of the No Ceilings crew. Subscribe. It's free. It's the off season. So we're publishing like two to three times a week. But once the season gets rolling, we'll be back to five days a week, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern time directly to your inbox. And again, it is free. There's no reason not to subscribe. Make sure you are subscribed to the draft act nba draft podcast rate us give us a five-star review that would be dope af and uh also check out the no ceilings um nba draft podcast feed as well for a lot of cool stuff that we'll be doing throughout the off season and into the season as we blow it up subscribe to no ceilings tv if you're watching already live thank you if you're watching the replay shout out to you holla at your boys we are out uh we will see you next week peace Peace.